Galatians and chapter 2 is our reading this morning. Letter to the Galatian Christians and chapter 2. After the Gospels we have the book of Acts and then the letters of Paul begin with Romans 1 and 2 Corinthians and then Galatians. And I want to read to you this morning from Galatians and chapter 2 and I'll start to read at verse 11. Letter to the Galatians and chapter 2 and verse 11. Shall we hear the word of God? When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing." Thank God for the reading of his word. We shall consider some of those words shortly. Well, what do you make of Easter? Why do Christians get so excited about Easter? Far more excited than they ever get about Christmas. How can something that happened 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago now, how can it have any relevance to your life and to my life today in 2021. Here's what one person thought about these things. He put it into verse to make it more memorable. It happened in Jerusalem in the early spring. 
They say God lived and died a man or some such crazy thing. For it happened very long ago and very far away. It happened much too long ago to make a scrap of sense today. The charge they brought was blasphemy. The prisoner was framed and Pilate washed his hands of him. But why should he be blamed? For it happened many, very long ago and very far away. It happened much too long ago to make a scrap of sense today. They flogged him then and mocked him and dragged him to the hill through jostling crowds that jeered. But why be troubled still? For it happened very long ago and very far away. It happened much too long ago to make a scrap of sense today. And on that city rubbish tip, they nailed him to a cross and left him in the sun to die. But what's all that to us? For it happened very long ago and very far away. It happened much too long ago to make a scrap of sense today. Friends left him through the Sabbath day in a borrowed grave. On Sunday morning he had gone. But still, what does that prove? For it happened very long ago and very far away. It happened much too long ago to make a scrap of sense today. Alive, they say, he joined these friends and all the nail marks saw. He parted from them heavenwards. But how can we be sure? For it happened very long ago and very far away. It happened much too long ago to make a scrap of sense today. It happened in Jerusalem in the early spring. They say God lived and died a man or some such crazy thing. But it happened very long ago and very far away. But though it happened long ago, couldn't it make a lot of sense today? Well, could it make a lot of sense? It certainly did to the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary Christianity has ever had. If someone has been violently opposed to Christianity to the extent that they have put Christians in prison and not hesitated to put them to death, even travelling hundreds of miles to seek out Christians and to exterminate them, and then that same person suddenly changes and becomes a Christian himself and starts to travel the world and puts up with imprisonment, physical attacks, including stonings and beatings, false accusations, shipwreck, being adrift in the open sea for a night and a day, suffering hunger and thirst, simply because they want other people to know about this Jesus, simply because they truly believe that this Jesus who died on the cross on Good Friday rose again on Easter Day and is alive now. Now, if that person does all of that, surely they're worth listening to. There must be something real about their relationship with Jesus. And all of that is true of the Apostle Paul. 
There was no one more set against Jesus than the Apostle Paul. He hated the name of Jesus. He wanted to eradicate that name from the face of the earth. And then one day he met Jesus. Or should we say Jesus met with him? Because Paul wasn't looking for it. He wasn't expecting it. He certainly didn't at that time want it. But the Lord Jesus Christ broke into his life and it changed everything. And it's not just Paul. Because you might be saying, well, okay, Paul lived 2,000 years ago in a very unsophisticated age, we might say. Although is ours really a sophisticated age? It's not just Paul, though. Don't you know people today who say that this same Jesus who lived and died so very long ago and so very far away has changed their life? Is that true of you today? True of me. It's true of so many of us here today and of so many Christians around the world. Could it make a lot of sense? Well, what does Paul say about himself? What does every Christian say? In Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 21, Paul is telling people who lived in Galatia, that is northern Turkey, He's telling them about a confrontation that he had with Peter. You know Peter, the great fisherman disciple, one of the twelve, the spokesman, the one who we read about in John chapter 20, who went to that tomb and saw that it was empty. He went with John. Well, Paul had a confrontation with Peter, a dispute with him, because Peter had gone off the rails just slightly and just for a time. But it was serious enough for Paul to have to remind him what it means to be a Christian and what it means to really trust in Jesus Christ. You can read the full response of Paul in those verses for yourself, verses 11 through to 21. But today I want us to concentrate on verse 20 because here Paul gives us his personal testimony, his personal belief about Jesus Christ. Let's hear it again. Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul and every Christian can say that with full confidence. First of all, they say this, Jesus, the Son of God, loved me and gave himself for me. That's what every Christian can say. Jesus, the Son of God, loved me And gave himself for me. They say Jesus is the son of God. You might say, well, does God have a son? How is that possible? How is it possible for God to have a son? Does God have a wife? Is the Trinity, as the Muslims want to suggest that we believe, 
Is the Trinity God the Father, the Virgin Mary, and Jesus the Son? No, it isn't. The Trinity, according to the Word of God, is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Is God the Son inferior to God the Father? No. Is a son really inferior to a father? No. In infancy, perhaps there is that relationship of superiority and inferiority, of submission and authority. But when they are adults, there is an equality. The son, was he born after the father? No, he wasn't. So why is he called the son then? He has always existed. He is called the Son because he is the exact representation of the Father. As we say, like Father, like Son. He is called the Son because he is the image of the invisible God. Because he is sharing the same nature as God the Father. And because in his human life on earth... He submitted to the Father in everything. That is the only way that we can truly understand that relationship. He is one with the Father. He is the Son. Because it's showing us the closeness of relationship and the sharing of a nature and the sharing of the image of God. Beyond that, we can't go. Jesus the Son came into the world. Jesus became human. He who created everything and for whom everything was created became a fetus in the womb of Mary. He already was and always had been the son of God. But there in the womb of Mary, he became the son of Mary. He took her DNA and he joined it to his divine nature. Not mixing it in any way, but joining it so that he is fully man and fully God. The son of God and the son of man. Being a Christian begins here. It begins with you believing that Jesus is the son of God in those terms and those terms alone. Every Christian can say Jesus is the son of God. And then every Christian with Paul says, Jesus, the Son of God, loved me. How can God love anyone? Why would God love me? Is there anything in me worth loving, you might say? No, there isn't. What was there in Paul that was worth loving? Saul of Tarsus hated Jesus. He wanted the name of Jesus wiped from the earth. But there on the road to Damascus, he discovered that Jesus loved him. Not because of anything in him. Not because he was worth loving. But simply because there is a loving heart in Jesus for sinners. And being a Christian is knowing for certain in your heart, that Jesus loves you. It means experiencing that love of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. To be able to truly say, Jesus loved 
me. But then Paul goes on. The son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Every Christian can say Jesus gave himself for me. You notice that Paul said the son of God who loved me. He puts it in the past. He loved me. Now we could say, well, does that mean that he doesn't love you anymore, Paul? Are you saying that there was a time when Jesus loved you, but he doesn't love you now? No, that's not what Paul means. It's a strange way of putting it, isn't it? Would you really say, my boyfriend loved me? My wife loved me? It has a sense that they don't do that anymore, doesn't it? That there was a time, but no longer. What does it mean? The son of God who loved me. Well, Paul was impressed by the one great event in history that demonstrated more than any other that Jesus loved him. And that event was the cross. The son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He was so taken up by that. And every Christian should be taken up by that. What's Good Friday about? It's about the Son of God demonstrating just how much he loves you. He loves you enough to give his life for you. Greater love has no one than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends, said Jesus. And you are my friends, he says, if you do what I command you. Obedience to Christ is the evidence that we have come to faith in him. Is the evidence that he loved us there on the cross and gave himself for me. Notice, he gave himself. You might think of Good Friday being a time when Jesus was taken by ruthless men, forced to the cross, nailed there, and put up there till he died. But no, he went there willingly. He gave himself. No one took his life from him. He gave his life. People who are crucified do not shout in a loud voice, it is finished, and then die. They gasp and they cling on to life and life finally drifts from them. Not Jesus. He spoke with a loud voice, it is finished. And then he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he gave up his life. Jesus gave his life and he gave his life for me, says Paul. Every Christian can say, Jesus gave his life for me. He gave himself for me on the cross. I was a sinner for whom Christ died. And there on the cross, he took my sins. Being a Christian means being able to say, Jesus gave himself for me. And knowing this in your heart for certain, Jesus, the Son of God, loved me and gave himself for me. But let's move on. There's a second thing that every Christian can say with the Apostle Paul, and it's this. My old sinful self was crucified with Christ. My old sinful self was crucified with Christ. See it there in uh, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified 
with Christ. You see, there is more to know about the Christian life than simply that Jesus, the Son of God, loved me and died for me. That is where every Christian must begin. That is the simplest and most profound thing about being a Christian. Youngest child can understand, Jesus died for me. Because he loved me, Jesus died for me. And I believe in him. The youngest child can believe in that. And that is enough. But there is more to know. My old sinful self was crucified with Christ. You must begin there. You need to know for yourself that Jesus died for you. You must seek to know him. He is willing to be found by you if you seek him with all your heart. But you must seek him as your saviour. And when you know him as your saviour who died for you, you go on to know him more and more and to understand more and more what it really means for Jesus to die on that cross for you. And like Paul, you will come to understand that you died with Christ on that cross. This is a most profound and wonderful truth that the Bible tells us all the way through. You died with Christ on that cross. I have been crucified with Christ. And you say, well, what does that mean? Was I there 2,000 years ago? You know, as the old hymn, were you there when, I, when they crucified my Lord? I keep wanting to say, no, I wasn't. Because we weren't. So how could I die with Christ when I wasn't born? I had no existence. I had no existence before my birth. Did I die on the cross? Well, yes and no. Of course, physically you didn't die on the cross. But you now understand something. You understand that Christ's death means something for you. It means that something quite dramatic has happened to you. There is a part of you that had to die. There is a part of you that must die. And the cross makes that possible. It is because Christ died on the cross that you can die. What part of you? Well, Paul uses the simple word I. And it's, it's quite profound that, isn't it? I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. You see the emphasis on the I. I have been crucified. I no longer live. The I, the great I. And the I is the problem in your life and in my life as well. It speaks to you of the self. It speaks to you of the, the selfish, obstinate part of you. The selfish gene, as someone put it. Richard Dawkins. Yeah, there is a part of us that instinctively wants our way, my way. Wants to put me first in everything, to do it my way. 
The I that demands that other people live their lives for my benefit and the world is operating for my benefit and that I get what I want and do what I want because I'm worth it. I'm somebody. And my views trump everybody else's views. This is the very I that keeps you away from God. It keeps you from submitting to God's will and God's ways. It is the I that will, if not checked, and if not put to death, it will drag you into a hell that you deserve. Because you have said, my will, not God's, be done. It is that I that the Bible calls sin. And sin dwells in every one of us. And before we become a Christian, Sin has the upper hand, and that sinful self is everything. And that sin, that I, that sinful self must die if you are ever to be a Christian. You can't go on very long as a Christian unless you take this seriously. If you're thinking about Jesus being your saviour, then you need to know that the I in you must die with him. You can't be a Christian and have your own way. Becoming a Christian means giving yourself up completely to Jesus Christ. It means turning your back on the I. It means not wanting your own way, but wanting his way. And everything, everything about your life must be surrendered to the Lord Jesus where you want to live, what you want to do with your life, who you want to marry, whether you should marry, what sort of a house you should live in, what sort of a car you should drive, what family and friends you should have. It means giving the key to your heart and your life to someone else. It means saying no to me, saying no to I, and saying yes to Jesus Christ. And that's what it means for yourself to be crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. When Christ died on that cross, the I in my life, the sinful self, died with him. It's gone. My old life has gone. Because it was crucified with him. Jesus paid the price for that life. And he demands that I give it up to him. So that he can do away with it. Is that too much to pay you say? Then remember the cross. It cost Jesus everything. He struggled in Gethsemane himself didn't he? But he overcame his human self. His natural human instinct. And he submitted to God. Not my will, he said, but yours be done. And you must do the same. Because that's what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means that your old self must die with Christ. And you live a new life in him. And that's not just a once for all thing. It's a constant thing. You're constantly going to have to be battling with the I. And every time it rears its ugly head in your life, you've got to say, you are dead with Christ. 
be gone with you. And it will be a constant struggle all of your life. But that's what it means to be a Christian. The I must die. Christ must be all and everything in your life. And why not? He loved you and he gave himself for you. That's what it means to be a Christian. There's a third thing, a final thing in these verses. Not only does a Christian say, Jesus, the Son of God, loved me and gave himself for me. Not only does a Christian say, my old sinful life was crucified with Christ. But the Christian says, I now live by faith in Christ who lives in me. I now live by faith in Christ who lives in me. See it there? It's all there in this wonderful verse. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. What sort of a life can you expect if you submit to Christ? Many people say, well, that is a cost too great. I'm not going to do that. How could I live like that? If that's what it means to be a Christian, then I'll just live my own life. Don't do that. The life with Christ is the only life that is worth living. It is the most glorious and wonderful life that there can ever be. To give yourself up to someone totally and fully because that someone demands all of you but also desires your good in everything is the most wonderful thing, isn't it? Is it worth it? Yes, it is. A hundred times it's worth it. It's a life of faith. I live by faith. Paul says, in the Son of God. You will not see everything that you have. You will have to believe what God says if you are to be a Christian. You will have to trust him that his promises are true. You will have to live with expectation and hope. We'll talk more about that this evening, that expectation and hope that we have. You won't have everything right now as a Christian, but you will have many promises, and all of those promises are true. You will have to live by faith, but faith is something real. Faith is a gift of God. You don't have to work faith up in your life. You receive it when you become a Christian. The ability to believe is something God-given when you come to Jesus. It's not too difficult to understand faith, is it? We all live by faith to a certain extent. Every one of us has faith in ourselves, in our family, in politicians, maybe, in friends, in the media. Faith in Christ is far more solid than any one of those confidences. And it's well tested by so many who have gone before us. Christian life is a life of faith. It's a life of believing and trusting that what God says is true and what God promises he will do. That is faith. And you live your life every single day by faith in the Son of God. But not only is it faith, you also have Christ living in you. I now live by faith in Christ who lives in me. I no longer live, says the Apostle Paul. But Christ lives in me. What does that mean? What does it mean for Christ to live in me? Is Christ inside me? I opened myself up. Would I find Christ there? Is Christ just some sort of influence, 
some idea? No. The Lord Jesus is real. But he is in heaven right now. He is in one place, heaven. He has a body, a resurrection body. And he is in heaven right now. However, he has sent the Holy Spirit so that we might know him with us every day. In our minds and in our hearts, he influences us. All our thinking, all our behavior. He is someone whom we love. We can really love him. Someone who is with us even when he is far away. Someone we can talk to. Someone we know intimately as a friend who is closer than any other friend or person in the world. In that sense, Christ is living in you. He has replaced the I in your life that caused you so much harm and other people harm too. And he has come instead. So your life is Christ. For me to live is Christ, says Paul in another place. And to die is gain. Do you know anything of this? Of this Jesus? Does Easter mean anything like that to you? If not, then do you yet know this Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross, who was put in the tomb and who rose again on this day over 2,000 years ago? You may know him. He is not far from you. He stands at the door and knocks. Will you hear his voice? Will you let him in? Today, then you can say with Paul and with billions of others today, there are over two billion Christians in the world. And you'll be able to say with them and with the Apostle Paul, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is is a life worth living. I pray that you will know that life for yourself. Number 274, an old, old hymn from the 12th century. The strife is o'er, the battle done, the victory of life is won, the song of triumph has begun. Hallelujah. The powers of death have done their worst, but Christ their legions has dispersed. Let shouts of holy joy outburst. Hallelujah. The three sad days have quickly sped. He rises glorious from the dead. All glory to our risen head. Hallelujah. He broke the bonds of death and hell. The bars from heaven's high portals fell. Let hymns of praise his triumph tell. Hallelujah. Lord, by the stripes which wounded thee, from death's dread sting thy servants free, that we may live and sing to thee. Hallelujah. Let's pray. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.